Eternal Dirtles is supported by our backers on Patreon. If you're interested in this content and want to help us create more parody songs or host the podcast on several platforms for you, um, or come up with our off-the-cuff prizes that we send to our patrons, um, you can go to patreon.com slash eternaldirtles. Thank you. Zach Clark, and with me as always, Nathan Goley and Phil Blackman. Nate, Phil, how's it going, guys? Good evening. Yeah. All good here. Well, where do you guys want to start? <laughs> I mean, I guess. I think I, let's, yeah, let's I mean, just dive right into it. Yeah, I think yeah. I think the best place so, to start with this is is you know we had a little bit of a pre-show talking about this stuff, uh, but let's talk about Nate's discussion with Mark Rosewater this morning. One that I did not expect to have in this way. So. We're going to talk a little bit today. We're going to definitely talk today about companions and like, you know, them being a component of this uncertain future for the game. Right. But what happened yesterday, last night and into this morning was that Mark Rosewater had posted a couple like Twitter polls about like, what do you think the problem was with companions? One was one was basically like, would you rather we innovated or strived for balance? Which one do you want to prioritize? Right. And a lot of people said balance. Actually, currently at 58% to 42%, people want balance more than innovation. But there, through the thread, there was this undercurrent of people who were trying to like explain their vote, right? Especially people like Eric Froelich, Matt Sperling. And we're talking about pros, which is how I probably how it got sort of like on my sort of timeline on Twitter. And every time that someone would say something along the lines of maybe these could have been costed differently or maybe this could have been developed, he would say, well, that's that's downstream from me was his like go-to phrase. Like, I don't have anything to do with that. And I've, I manage a creative team, right? Uh, Zach, you've done freelance work for me. Like I manage a creative team and like I, sometimes when you're in a creative team and people have ideas, like creative ideas and you have to sort of manage them along the line, like, yeah, sometimes things don't work out. Right. And that's just kind of how it is. And in this case, the companions clearly are not working out. And um, I said to, I, I just responded, I was, and I posted a couple things on my timeline, and I responded, I was like, hey, I really find this to be disrespectful. I said crappy, actually. This is crappy to say about your coworkers. Like, I, I, under, like, I just, you know, you got to be a little more careful. Like, it sounds like you're trying to, to sort of duck responsibility for this and push the responsibility onto other people. And... What I didn't expect was him to say, like, hey, do you, like, can you explain what you mean? And I was like, all right, well, I'll explain what, what I mean. And I said that, like, hey, I, I manage a creative team. Like, yes, like, sometimes people's ideas, but they all go through a whole team. And there's a whole process. I know there's a process, right? I know there's a process. And I know that creative teams are perpetually sort of under-resourced and have crushing deadlines. Like, that's, that's life in the creative world. Mm-hmm. And... You know, but I just think you need to be a little bit more careful on Twitter when you say things aren't your job. I think the a correct response, I even said, like, a better response might be, you know, thank you for that feedback. Like, I'm going to take this to my team and we'll discuss it as a group. Not that happens downstream from me and it's not my fault or not my problem. Right. Yeah. I found I found his tone. I, I just I was like, this tone is pretty disrespectful to people who are in development. Like, maybe, you know, yeah. I don't even, I don't, maybe, maybe I was, and I even said like, maybe I'm overreacting, but like as a manager, when I had my sort of big rant the other week, I wasn't talking about a single person in R&D. I was just saying that I, I can tell that this R&D organization is in disarray and they, they have a lot of products coming out, right? They have a lot of problems with the product that gets out and what you, when you've got the most what it comes down to for me is that Mark Rosewater is the most visible person by far. By far, it, yeah, it, definitely. In, in, involved in the game, let alone with R&D, right? And he may it may be true that it's not his job to think about things that, like, costs and balance and stuff like that. And it may be his job to just, like, you know, be Mozart. But if that's the case, then he really shouldn't be on Twitter soliciting feedback that he – isn't able to sort of answer for, right? Yeah. Like he doesn't have to, and it's not, when I say he doesn't have to answer for it, it's mean like he doesn't have to tell us 
everything. He's like, I'm trying to be transparent and tell you that's not how our process works. I'm like, but I don't care how the process works. Like no one really, you didn't ask about the difference between play design and, and vision design and set design, which one was at fault. You just asked like, do you want balance or do you want innovation? And you set yourself as the innovation guy against the balance people who are down the road from you. Like it sounds adversarial and it sounds rude, frankly, like, I know these people have a hard job. It's kind of suck. I mean, we've all been there. We all work in creative fields, you know? Like, I just, I felt it was, the upshot was this. Like, eventually, he straight up just basically said, like, well, look, I was just trying to get an answer to the, he never, he never, he never responded in a way that I felt made me think he understood my point. He just kept going back to, like, I'm trying to tell you how our process works, and this is, you're, you're, and he, he said that I was, he said that I was, um, uh, uh, upset with him for things that weren't his job, and I was like, I'm not upset with you for things that aren't your job. I'm upset with you for like just dismissing anything that isn't your job as something that you don't have to care about. Like, if you're the one asking questions, people are going to ask about anything and everything. And I don't have an opi- I don't have a very strong opinion about whether or not companions should or shouldn't exist in the context of the game as you wanted in 2020. I have personal issues, which we'll, we'll probably you know touch on different parts of that throughout the show. But I don't, if, you, if, if Wizards wants companions and you delivered companions, then maybe the game isn't for me. And that's a, that's, that's a different question, but I just think you need to be careful in what you're saying. He eventually said, well, I was the person who put companions in the design file. Should I have done that? And what I thought was the best response was uh, a gentleman named Mike. I'm gonna see if I can find his last name. It was Mike Walker. And he said, Look, if you're just asking us the way companions looked right now, the way things came out, like the ten compan the the ten commandments, the ten companions and their costs and their effects on the game, then the answer is no. You should not have put them in the design file. And if you want a yes or no on whether or not you should have put them in the design file, looking at what happened, we're gonna give that a big fat no. <laughs> you know? That doesn't mean that the problem was that the but like you did if you're gonna be very if he's gonna be that touchy about whether or not it was Mark Rosewater's fault because the companion mechanic was flawed versus some anonymous person's fault down the road that it wasn't costed correctly, I don't think he should be answering questions online like this or asking them. Because the person who's, when he says it's not my job, that implies it's someone else's job. Is that person in this in this conversation to defend themselves? Do they have millions of Twitter and Tumblr followers? Are they in videos? like? Are they able to to communicate what they were thinking? I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know who that person is. I don't know who the one person is in R&D that should be doing that. But <sighs> it was such a disappointing interaction. Not because, again, not even because I think the design is bad, necessarily. Like, I, I'm, you know, people make mistakes. I've been there, you know? I've been there. Anyway, I use an example online about, like, some, some problems I'd had with... Um, you know, in the past, I used a couple examples of like things that happened to me as a manager where I've had to say like where they weren't necessarily my fault, but I but I didn't say that to the customer. You know, I just said, like, thank you for the feedback. Like, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to look into this and I'll get back to you. You know, like that's all you have to do. It's I know it's, it can be frustrating to people on the other end, but and maybe maybe you would be frustrated if someone said that to you. But like, this isn't any better. Yeah. You know, I think. You know, I appreciate his candor, the fact that he's trying to be honest with with people online about, like, what the process is. And I think that is part... It's a double-edged sword. When you do that sort of thing, you're apt to be like, hey, this is me on on paper. This is who I am. This is what I I did. Um, And do you think it's right or wrong? And then when you get an answer that sort of... You feel like you're pushed into a corner uh, to be blamed, you do want to deflect. Like, it just it's just part of the... The issue is like you asked this question now. Now you're being shot for it, and you kind of want to deflect that 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 blame a little bit, at least to some point, so that you're not con- perceived as like the complete bad guy. And and I sort of get that, but at the same time, I I completely understand what you're saying. It's a tough line to walk, being like the the uh, media head of of a company. You know, for for lack of a better term. Mark Rosewater is the, the the Mickey Mouse of he's the Walt Disney of Magic the Gathering. You know, like we see yeah. when we look when we I, think of a human face behind Magic the Gathering, we no longer think of Richard Garfield. You know, we think of Mark Rosewater. 
my Wait, issue with the the whole thing is is what you were what you just said about like um you, the the title that you just gave him, which isn't his title. I feel like Watsi already has a lot of pitfalls in how they communicate with their playership already. Yeah. You know, like announcements of announcements and and all of the, all of that that they've tried to figure out what is the best way to communicate to their audience what is going on to like please everybody and make sure that everybody is aware of like what's going on and what we need to know and when we need to know it. And they're already not very good at that. And so it seems like him taking this on online, if it's not just personally on his own, like if he is talking like, I want to know this for the, you know, for the sake of the design team or whoever else beyond himself, it seems as though the, if I were working wizards PR, I'd be like, Mark, you, you gotta, you gotta leave this stuff to me and my team. Exactly. <laughs> well, that, I think I think that's sort of the problem, and this is a in the more corporate uh, something like this becomes, and and make no mistake, like Hasbro probably checks everything he says up to a point, right? Like this morning, he probably they he probably ran this concept by them, and they were like, yeah, sure, do it. Let let's see what happens, and then and then it's just kind of like, okay, well, where do you go from there, right? They don't have somebody tracking him twenty four seven to like get those answers out of him. Like when I. I went to Hascon and they had a PR guy um, following, uh, uh, I forget the guy's last name right now, uh, Nate around, uh, one of the one of the design heads around to make sure that he didn't F up and say something about Dominaria um, the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, and, and if he did, they, they would basically have talked to me and been like, look, you can't post anything about that, you know? Uh, th that sort of thing. They, they were very particular about uh, how they dealt with their their higher up, uh, you know, media targets, basically, uh, especially around, uh, you know, basically a, a a bully pulpit full of people, you know, that just wanted uh, just wanted some kind of uh, uh, information so they could get that scoop, right? And everyone's looking yeah. for that scoop. And it's funny because I, you know, I talk a lot uh, uh, to my friends about uh, about magic and the the ROI on 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 just on just cards period, but then you look at the ROI on like getting the scoop. Uh, for those who don't know, ROI is return on investment. Um, yeah. On getting the scoop, it means almost nothing. And like a couple thousand more hits than some other guy doesn't mean anything in the long term. But people like hero themselves to 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 get that thing, and um that that's the sort of uh thing that uh should sort of be tempered by a PR team. And I think uh, that same mentality goes the other way when you're when you're inside a company where you're like, I do want to be the guy that says the thing, but you know, like at times I think those 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 feelings have to be tempered, and you do need someone to manage that person. The problem is is when you have somebody as high up as Mark, um, you know, he's also their boss. You know, so when do you tell the yeah. boss to shut up? You know, like you can't. You know, it's very hard. So you have well, it, it, I, it gets to. I do that like on on a regular basis. Like uh, my team has to constantly, not constantly. My team reality checks checks the boss occasionally because he he pays us to do that. You know, like he he's like, look, sometimes I'm going to say something dumb and I need someone to stop me from doing that because I'm excited about the thing. You know, and vice versa. We have to know to like, you know, when is it okay to to step in just just as, you know, uh, a you know, work, working with your boss, it's very hard to just say, hey, actually, that's a bad idea. You know, like, that, you have to be pretty comfortable with the people that you work with to be able to get that going. And I feel like because Hasbro is like a corporate entity, um, it's very hard for them to to um, have someone in that in-between role that, like, isn't beholden to um, the, the opinions and beliefs that Mark Rosewater has, but can also, you know, temper them. You know? Yeah. Well, I think there's there's two there's two ways that that what you just said sort of impacts this point, right? One is like for all of Mark's insistence to me that he isn't responsible for development and therefore shouldn't have to answer questions about it, which is not what I was saying. All I said was he should be careful how he answers the questions. Mm -hmm. um, for all of his he, his title is not 
as you said, communications manager or head of PR, or yeah. VP of communications, like all these people that the three of us work with in various, you know, journalistic fields that we've been in. Like, we know who to reach out to. Like, I've worked with Hasbro PR before. Like, you have too. And, and like, I mean, I'm normally saying it's funny because I used to report about my, when I first job was at a toy magazine. I used to work with Hasbro PR about like Nerf guns, you know? Yeah. Like, Hasbro has a PR team. They do. And like, you know, it's like the part of the brand, the part of the brand that Wizards has is that Mark Rosewater is open and accessible, but that openness and accessibility comes with some baggage. You got to be careful what you say. You got to straight up be careful what you say. And all I was saying was be careful what you say. Right. And then another thing that, so like, first of all, so now you've got a question of like, should Hasbro or Wizards of the Coast or someone be assigning PR people to be, or should they straight up tell them like, Mark, you can't do this anymore. Like, not only, not only is it like there's a there's like a crisis at the company right now. There's currently a crisis within Wizards of the Coast Magic R and D. Like not only is there a crisis going on, you know, but like the reason crises like this happen is you're distracted. Like I don't think people should be blaming Mark Rosewater for the card stock or for like story decisions they don't like, but he's the one putting himself out there to answer those questions. Yeah, you know, and he's going to get those questions. And it, like, like something that's this is this is much closer to his actual duty, his design, like what's the difference between design and development or whatever, or where this go wrong. Like he should, he needs to either have an answer or empower the person who has the answer to, to join him, or just say like, we'll take it under advisement and give you something later when we when I have the chance to talk to my team. Not that's downstream of me. I don't control that. You know, that's not the right answer. The second thing is related to everything you just said is that. Mark Rosewater, the public face of magic, the guy who's been designing cards for 20 years, the guy who does the storm scale, the guy who gives game design lectures, right? Mm -hmm. If that guy is the designer and he hands you a companion, are you inclined as a developer to try and and get and try and poke holes in that? This is are a you inclined? To answer, honestly, because you, you, I don't know. <laughs> like... Like if, if I'm the power, there's a power for, disparity. Th there's there's a power disparity. Also, like the teams that design don't seem to last super long there. Like, um, you know, four years He's is like concept. a veteran, right? Like, so you get to a point in this company where you're where you're designing cards, and do you want to do you want to put your job on the line to say, Hey, this is a really not, I don't think this is a really bad idea. idea, you know, to the guy, to the guy who literally can, can be like, you know what? You, I don't think we need this guy working, working in this part of the company. This, this is a dream job for a lot of people. And that makes, and that makes it for many reasons, an not ideal job for them because they will, they will make design mistakes. Uh, based on the fact that they just want to keep their job, you know? Well, it's, 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 it's also like, hey, like, Mark Rosewater should know better, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, like, like maybe this, like, it's not, it, it, there's a couple problems. There's a huge power disparity. That's my point. He's got all this history. He's got this following. He's got this, you know, he's got the face of the game behind him, right? He's got years of experience. He's in and charge of the design. That's not a bad thing, truthfully. Nor that's not necessarily not. a bad yeah. thing. And we're not even saying, again, I'm not making a value judgment. I'm just saying that's the case. So he turns this stuff over to the next set of design, or next set design or development or whatever it is. And they have to decide, not only do they have to decide, they have to, what they're trying to do is in good faith, assume that he's given them something that he's thought a little bit about and how it might work in the game, how it might look in the game and try and make it work in the game. And there is no way that any development team it's going to be able to compete with the hive mind of, of players. That's why these things get broken so fast. I mean, you're talking about millions of players versus maybe what a couple dozen people who play test these things for two format, let alone pioneer and modern and, and uh, legacy and vintage and EDH and all this stuff. Right. Like they're never going to catch everything. Right. And for that, for their, for that person who they are trying to work with in good faith to say, Hey, that's not my job, man. That sucks. That makes it seem like, to me, that's like, man, I, I'm def this guy is just going to throw me under the bus the second something comes back that people don't like. But boy, will he be the first to take credit when people are having a great time, you know? Like, he, I've never heard him say, development did a great job costing that thing you really like, you know? If it, you can't have it both ways. Have you ever, like, as people are like, oh, I really like the way this works, like, 
great. Yeah, development did a great job costing that or something, you know? Like, could you imagine? He never says that. No, like, he I've shouldn't never have seen to. Not that he has that. to. Yeah. Not that he has to, but, like, you know, for the corollary to be also the case is so disappointing. Like, I... I just, I just think that uh, what it left me with was like, let I want to shift gears a little bit from like this very personal interaction I have with him to like what it means in in, in entirety, right? Because I think we'll we'll be able to segue now. Like basically, like you've got this company that you want to like, like you love this game, you've been playing it for years. If you're listening to us, you've been probably playing it for a few years. You know, you're playing Legacy, you're you're involved. You know, you know thousands of cards by heart. You know them more than you know your family's birthdays, right? Like. Do you know your social security number, your DCI number, all that stuff we've been talking about as they just ax the DCI, right? Like you want to like you want to like this company. <laughs> you want to like this company and you want to like this product and this sucks. The the companions have sapped my desire to play legacy already. And all I'm hoping is that like I have a I have some faith that they have they have a plan to tackle this and not let it happen again. But yeah, this we interaction, just we just can't have this like, <laughs> uh, you know, for lack of a better term, Yu Gi Ohing of this game, where like every single set is just like slightly more powerful, and they're like, eh, and then we ban stuff because uh, you know we made some mistakes, but whatever, we're designing it, uh, you know, we're really doing some innovation in our design, and and look, that was a discussion I had over, I think over three years ago now with um, uh with the uh, president of the company. I had a, I had an interview with, uh, with, with Chris Cox. Yeah. yeah. Chris Cox. And that, that was something he said, Hey, we're going to take more risks. And at the time I thought, Hey, that's great. You know, like more risks means, you know, uh, more interesting mechanics, you know, that sort of thing, push design a little bit. But when you get to a point and you see where that mentality led to, it's it's incredibly disappointing, you know, uh, to know that, that that they they're probably okay with pushing a, a mechanic like this that that literally nukes every format in sort of a bad way, makes everybody play with uh, with the new cards. Like in every format, you have to play and buy the new cards, right? Which is not a bad thing per se, but when you're blowing you know, almost 30 years of history out of the, out of the other end, that doesn't look great. I mean, there, there is a balance to, to that too. Like taking risks, obviously the, the flip side of it is we don't want everything to be so safe that nothing ever does anything. And we can't get excited about new toys, right? At the end of the day, like we are people who are buying, uh, paying money to buy toys so we can play with toys. Correct. And, yeah. If you don't like the other end, like right now you have like Throne of Eldraine and uh, Theros Beyond Death up. and Ikoria, like all pushing the paradigm where they're just upending every format as these are the best things that you can be doing uh, on a certain aspect, barring the the stuff that has just been, you know, obviously egregious in the game's history, like, you know, shit like show and tell. Right. Which is <laughs> just, just an anomaly of game design early on. But the opposite side of that, where nothing happens is you get shit like, you know. Uh, fucking, you get uh, you get Ixalan or you get uh, Born of the Gods or you get you know Gatecrash where the cards did nothing and you you try and play Corsair as much as you can but you know that like at the end of the day even if it you know finds a home as a one or two of in like a random tier three deck it's still not exciting yeah you know so you you have to like the, the design team as 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 I like that they are willing to push the envelope in design space like Companion, but it is also, I think, that they have to recognize that if they're going to be exercising the ban and restricted uh, tool that they have in their in their arsenal more often for eternal formats, to not sandbag it. I think if they know that, like, hey, guys, we understand that, you know, Luris and these other Companions... They're going to likely be very good for standard. We tried them for standard. We really like them in design and testing for standard, and we would like to keep them in the in the uh, standard legal set so we can take place in standard on Arena where we can you know really show off that this unique design. Cool. But then if you also understand that, we're also aware that these things will scale exponentially with older formats with as the card power level increases. You know, as you get 
access to a black lotus, maybe Luris isn't healthy. Yeah. So also, like, you if, know, they, if, if they just if they just said that they were like, hey, guys, we know that this is going to be egregious in the eternal formats. So we're going to come out ahead of you and just let you know these cards are coming out for legacy and vintage. We are aggressively going to be watching if this needs to be banned. If this mechanic needs to be banned, we're going to do it and we're not going to hesitate on it. And but it will still be legal and standard. That's if that's where the, where it's going to be. That's fine, too. Take all the risks you want. Push all the power level you want. But also. Be aggressive with Ben. Don't don't keep us in limbo where people are going to buy new toys and then feel bad that they just spent, you know, a hundred dollars on Renin Sixes or uh, you know fifty dollars on Okos or you know another twenty five bucks on Luris only for it to to go within a month of its existence. Yeah, I I, I do want to also say one thing. Like I didn't weigh too much in on Companion. I let you guys do most of the talking about that. But there's one. Thing I like Companions. That, I do. Well, here's here's one thing that like. I, I just, I, I, I'll take my, like, you know, 40 seconds of, like, how did no one see this? Look, deck restrictions are fine. Um, especially in Standard, where the card pool is, like, uh, what, like, 600 cards, something like that. Um, the card game... pool is just under 2,000 cards, but okay. there's only so many that are playable. Sure. So, now, expand that to 30 years' worth of, uh, of cards. The restriction means so much less every time you double the card size, right? Because you just have another double the amount of options, right? And then, like, it's exponentially each time you you do that. Like, so restricting your deck uh, so that you can have this, like, extra card in your opener means less and less and less the further back you go into Magic's history, into any game's history, into any anything you do. If you restrict something, but you offer way more options over the course of, of a thing if you have formats or whatnot like it's it's insane to me that nobody thought to bring that up somebody had to be like this the, the, there's, there's but they are very explicit that they don't care about I, the eternal formats but and, and on top of that zach you, you're making a great point I and mean, i totally totally agree with you that's why the mechanics that's why the companions are bad that's why they're that's why they're unhealthy and that's why they're they're shocking you're right they explicitly say that they don't do that and on top of that like they did not flush them out in standard <laughs> it seems like either because people are talking about how bad standard is like with these things like that it's just not enjoyable that the, that the games are the same and like all this stuff like because everyone's got to you're starting like you're basically you you you, you, you didn't make a meaningful restriction <laughs> like with, the other thing that's weird to me about companions is they, they they did a lot of things so companion as a mechanic it was already like unprecedentedly unique Right. Yep. Yep. Like there is no other. You can't compare this mechanic to literally any other mechanic because it just doesn't exist. I mean, in the game of Magic the Gathering, yes. In the game of Magic the Gathering, yes. In terms of like what the cards do on top of Companion, a bunch of them are also historically unique. We talked about Zerda. Uh, uh, it was one cast or two casts ago where we were like, no other card reduces the cost of all permanence the way Zerda does. There is no other card that lets you rebuy any permanent of two CMC or less from your graveyard every turn like Loris does. Like, those alone, without the companion mechanic, would be a very powerfully unique effect that has never seen the game before. Yeah. If you, you know, so like com yes. companion from that from that text, you know, like... They, so that, those cards are arguably still playable. Right. So much going on because of their hybrid mana costs as well. Like, let's not forget that these things are hybrid mana costs. From from a design standpoint, I'm actually curious as to like why Brunt so much uniqueness, right? Like, I mean, I'm bringing, I'm using Zerta and Loris just because they're the easy examples here because they see the most play. But like those, Garuda also sees a bunch of play. In, in, well, the reason Garuda is even more crazy. Like, how about this graveyard milling card that doesn't get affected by rest in peace? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, like, in in terms of like these unique effects that are are powerful in their own right without companion. Because companion is so powerful, it's 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 weird to me to go from okay, here's a historically unique effect that people should get excited about, right? Free cards, eighth card added to your hand, you can play it out of the board. You've never been able to do that before. Like that's kind of cool. Here's this deck restriction. That's pretty interesting. You know, can I actually use this? Like if if Luris was just at his cost a three-two lifelinker and no other text, that itself would be compelling for decks that otherwise already fit the the criteria of what his companion is asking for right you just get to have a free three two lifelinker mm -hmm. like that's having just an additional threat at no cost to your to your deck building 
is really compelling for a lot of decks. That would be, that would still see play. Like, but it's also something that you could be excited about, right? Like, if you're a deck where you're like, oh man, like I'm playing Delver, I can actually shave threats, add more interaction because I have this three two lifelinker just hanging out in my board. But also, it has this additional unique effect. It seems like they just front loaded a bunch of it. They could have put those effects on any other cards and made those other cards also exciting. But they they brunted them into this cycle of like, here's a unique effect, here's another unique effect, and it's tacked onto a body that is already like at curve for something that would be competitive at its cost. I, I totally agree. I think that's that's a thing that one thing I've been thinking about a little bit is how does this compare to the introduction of the planeswalker card type, right? Then like one of the things that people often say is like the planeswalkers that the first few planeswalkers were so innocuous that, you know, oh, it was sort of a curiosity, right? And you're like, okay, well, what, how does it work? Well, it's kind of like an enchantment. Yeah, it was like an enchantment that you can attack. You, you use it to use it once per. You get to enchantment. You get to use once per turn, and because you get to use, because it's got this like variable cost associated with it, we're going to make it so you can attack them down. Like you have a way. Every every color has access to attacking it down as a way to remove it, right? Um, and yeah, like they push them when they push the power level of. Uh, as they push the power level of planeswalkers in, in certain directions, like you know, they tried the, the first one with four, you know, with four abilities. Jace was maybe a bit too much at the time, but we, we could. We should also note though that like in the first round of planeswalkers, their ultimates were not just objectively game ending. They were in certain contexts or certain board states. If you assembled and got there, you know, like Garrick's overrun can be game ending. But it's just, it, it wasn't just like, here's your mythic, protect it, and you know you, you protect the queen, and then it just incidentally has an effect that will be so uh, Jace was like, groundbreaking what, to the game that you, you, it'll be over. You know, Jace is mill 20 cards. That's good if your opponent has 20 cards left in their yeah. deck. You know, like, Chandra has like a minus X that's fine if it has enough loyalty. Like, these things, the, the design made it so that there, there, the, the game was conditional. There was... There was it, it wasn't just arbitrary, like, you just get to have all these things, team. You just get to have them. All of it, you get to have them. You don't have to work for it, you get to have them. Like, the first set, if, I mean, get, I get that the Planeswalkers were also rare in their first cycle, but the, 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 they were more there were no cards because there, there was, like, the, the way you would think about it, you go, okay, I really want to leverage Jace's ultimate, quote, quote. You're like, okay, am I supposed to be playing a mill strategy? Do I have to, like... Is my game plan just to survive until they get down to 20 cards? How do I, how am I going to build my deck to ensure that that happens, you know? Do I want to mill myself? Like, it's, it's not just a, like, okay, let's ultimate draw draw your deck and your opponent loses all their life. Your opponent's drawn four cards by the time you get to ultimate Jace in this case, by the way. Seriously, the plus the, the only way to add loyalty to the Jace is plus two each player draws a card. So not only is your opponent, your opponent's getting four extra resources to figure out how to beat this minus 10, right? The, the original Planeswalkers are not, like, egregious. Like, Can you imagine if Luris said, if Luris, if, if Luris also had that kind of symmetrical effect where it said each player can rebuy a permanent with CMC 2 or less every turn? <laughs> well, people that would be, that would be, play it. people would, because like, you would, you would build your deck to break it and they, and you would, and your opponent might not be prepared to take advantage of it. That's just breaking symmetry. Well, you're also like, just like, okay, I, maybe I need to, maybe I'm going to play main deck ways to just remove my opponent's graveyard. Like, right, maybe exactly. I'm playing the Tormod script exactly. and just rebuy with my Lurus over and over so they can't use the Lurus, but I can. I've used, I've had that idea with uh, Oath of Ghouls. <laughs> and Fairy Macabre. Yeah, like, Every turn you just remove I, their I, creatures and bring back the Fairy Macabre and return their... <laughs> but yeah, like, no, you're right. I, I, I as, as, as I've been playing with Lurus, I've found that the, the, the quote, quote, fair decks that play Lurus... Right, so the ones that are actually trying to, you know, interact and trade cards and whatnot, it's not Storm that's just trying to use it as an additional uh, Storm Storm count. Yeah, so like for the fair decks, if you are playing a fair deck that is interested in exchanging, my experience so far has been that the end game for any of the decks that are interested in interacting, the end game will always be whoever has Luris advantage to be a dark confidant that also can answer whatever the board is. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like it doesn't matter how these exchanges happen. At the end of the day, if I get to stick my Luris and protect it enough that it just will rebuy me at least a card every turn. So I am I have a dark confidant and you don't, then I'm gonna win that game. And and so far the end game always is either I get to that board state or my opponent gets to that board state where they have Luris parity or they break Luris parity 
and that's it. That's how the games end. Um, yeah, I would definitely say that one of the hardest things, like Lurus is a very powerful card, and I don't think I've played, I, I obviously haven't played enough to say like I'm, I feel really good about how to use it. Like I think the design is, I, I, the design is definitely something that intrigues me. Not in the, the non-companion part of it, but like that, that, that rebuy part is something that I think that is really speaks to me as a player and something I would like to work on. But I just don't find it interesting to play the format with it in it. I think they <laughs> yeah. need to. They, like I, I, I really think that the, the. I mean, I remember we had this conversation one or two casts ago where we were yeah. talking about how they they no longer put symmetrical effects. They no longer yeah. use symmetrical effects. It's it's always one sided against your opponent because. It's it's um it's too hard it to feels bad off. it feels bad for a new player to be like their their cards are stopping them from doing something. And I I, I, I the more I thought about it, I think that, that it oh in the long term that's just a mistake. I think the symmetrical effects where it's like if it's a powerful enough effect that you can design your deck to try and play through that effect or play to that card's advantage is better than you just get to have all the things. Because I the 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 issue with power creep is going to come where a card that, if it were symmetrical, it wouldn't be busted. But when it's one-sided, it becomes busted. And it's it's, it's a weird tweak that, like, to, to, to protect the ego of new players and not scare them away, we have to, to, to coddle through the idea of, you know, uh, you're, I'm sorry, you, uh, our, your, your troll has to be able to pick up an equipment. Yeah. We have well, to design that way. It's like, or you don't. I, I, you like what? What is the? What is the? Like, how many players would you like? What are the metrics? I would love to see the number on like how many players they expect would try the game and leave it because of uh, symmetrical effects causing them to like misplay and feel bad. It never affected me when I was playing Land's Edge and lost to Land's Edge. Well, it didn't it, seem to affect the fact that they're the most popular card game outside of poker on the planet. Yeah. Didn't seem yeah. Not only that, like. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, shoot, I lost. Oh, um, Howling Mine. I was gonna say like it's funny you mentioned that because yeah. I was thinking about Howling Mine, right? Howling Mine's a like classic. Howling Mine's like Howling Mine's like a staple in old school and was it's been a staple for years. And I can't tell you how many times I've won games because my opponent played a Howling Mine. The most common like, thing that happens <laughs> when I play a Howling Mine is my opponent goes to their turn, draws two cards, and disenchants my Howling Mine. I still but play there is Howling the Mine interesting... regardless. They they do give you the clause though. They say the clause is if it's untapped. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it, I mean, gives the, the, you, it gives you the creative design space in yeah, your head yeah. to be able to build a deck and go, okay, this is a powerful effect. For two mana, this is a very powerful effect, and I want to take advantage of it. Is there things that I could play that don't like mess up my, my deck building enough that I can incidentally tap it to turn off the advantage for my opponent yeah. and still do other things? Like That puzzle, that, that, that deck building uh, incentive is compelling. Yeah, I agree. As and opposed it, to just saying, you draw two cards every turn. Yeah. What do you think what was the last symmetrical effect that you can remember being released that had like a downside that both players had to play through? Because I know there oh, collect your oof. I think that's the one, yeah. right? I mean that's the one and that's I, just a straight I dealt up with the most. Uh like drawing your own mocks after you play Collector Oof and you're like, well, whatever. Well what about what about this? Like what about um uh, collector roofs out there, but like I want to play Astrolabe, right? Yeah. Like I mean, I've definitely been like looking at deck lists. I mean, this was you know in the whatever you know six months ago where I was like, all right, like collector roof, like oh no, that screws my Astrolabe. Like I need an Astrolabe for whatever reason, you know. I can't play collector roof. I can't. I can't risk it. Like I have to figure out something else, you know. But um, the fact that there's there's but there's always another answer available. Even whether it's in green or whatever whatever other color you're playing, um, that you don't have to do that because there's there's so many things that are just one sided now that will help you. And like there's like there's like yes, it's like destroy your opponent's thing is one sided, but you're trading a card for a card. Like you mentioned the howling mine thing. Like my opponent draws two cards. The second one now is a disenchant. They disenchanted my howling mine. It's basically like they traded. I mean, we traded a card for a card, and they're up a card. You know, like um, it's not like the worst trade on earth. But, um, like, I just, it is interesting, though, but, like, there's, there's definitely those times where, like, when you play the Howling Mind in the right situation, that it just destroys your opponent, that you figured it out, and that you are, are doing it. You're doing the thing. And, like, when they, all these upside things, what really what they do is they just sort of, like, they really rob that sort of payoff 
from thinking hard about the deck. You know, I think um, it's funny because because Phil, you said something about when I was talking about this originally, like this this it was like, well, look at something like Uro, like maybe they just lop mana off the stuff and make it too efficient because it's a mythic and they want the mythic to be splashy. One of the funny things, like Uro is a really frustrating card to lose to, but from my perspective, like it's still seven mana to like get it into play, you know, before you even get to attack with your six six, you know. It's like a seven mana draw draw two gain six play a six six right that's pretty good for seven mana and there's another there's another like there's a lot of cost there you got to be able to make you know blue blue green green you got to be able to exile five cards for good like I've always thought that I that's why I always said like I thought Theros Beyond Death was closer to what we wanted and this this Ikoria set is just insane this like crazy all around and while but maybe that's my own problem at this point because i should i should be madder about uro maybe like maybe i should be madder about it like i don't know am i mad about uro like hogak exists yeah i know <laughs> i i think that the hogak the, just does it but free i i think like the 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 idea of like i hate the mythics that are clearly like they're not mythic because of any uniqueness or uh like mythic feel like the, the mythics that are mythics simply because they are pushed power level cards like questing beast irks the shit out of me because it's not it's like is it is it uh you're saying you wish it was weirder well is it is it like is it uh i'm trying to think of the word for like the lore of questing beast like is it lorically evocative not really. It's Apparently, just a bunch it of, it's just a know. bunch of keywords all stapled onto one card as a uniquely powerful mythic, right? Like, hey, here's a, a shit ton of text because we have mutate coming out. Like, <laughs> the, the stuff that is just arbitrarily pushed for the sake of being pushed, and then it's okay because we can stamp a mythic uh, tag on it to like sell the set. I think like that's a problem if if if, you're, if we're worried about power creep and power creep is like messing up older formats, you know, the newer formats is just making other cards, it's making them have to ban more cards, it's, it's causing all these problems, right? If, like, pushing the envelope but finding where you toe the line as to aggressive power creep versus just and from Mark Rosewater's point of view, like, innovative create new design that's playable, that, the I, I feel like Mythics pose just incidentally have posed a problem for them because in order for something to be Mythic, it's got to be enough, splashy enough to sell your set. Right, so you, people you have, have you, a you, huge feel that you open a shitty mythic. Right, so it's like you, you if, if if we're gonna say, oh wow, you opened a mythic, mythics mythics are fucking cool, as opposed to just having the top end be rares. It's like okay, if you need to have mythics and uh, and they need to be splashy, like do them splashy in a way where you can get away with it. Like I always thought, Lorthos the Tide Maker was the coolest fucking mythic. Right, it's like it feels epic. It does something epic. It, it has epic art. It's an epic yeah. character. It has a storyline where you see it in Crush of Tentacles later on. Like, it's super cool. That feels mythic. Brazen Borrower fucking doesn't. Brazen like, Borrower does not feel mythic. That, it's just like, <laughs> it's just like if, if, if you want, if, if that's going to be the case, if like mythics aren't going, if mythics are just going to be a combination of these cool, actually epic feeling things, and then also power creep for competitive players, that's going to be a feel bad when, you know, you get shit like all the planeswalkers that are, have to be mythic so they have to push the sets so and they have to be power pushed but then the the side of if we're thinking about power creep the the asymmetrical stuff feels like it's been power creeped but if teferi teferi three that just makes it so your opponent can't use the stack if that was both players can't only can only play at sorcery speed well that card is still powerful you still might want it in, in combo decks, right? You you want people to turn off counter magic, but it's yeah. not it's not this egregious effect that if you happen to be playing anything that wants to interact, you no longer can do that. Or it's like Ether's Narset Nar is really powerful. Shutting off uh, your opponent being able to draw cards is really powerful. But maybe that means that I would need to build my deck with instead of ponder, I got to play sleight of hand if I want to play Narset because it's uniquely powerful. There's a cost. Yep. You know, and I, I feel like the the those effects being one-sided is where we start to see power creep and like this egregious stuff where we go, we need to get these cards need to go. But on the flip side, if they weren't, then they are just 
incentivizing you to get creative with your deck building to access an otherwise extremely powerful ability. Teferi, a, both, a Teferi that was both sided, well, first of all, it's plus one would have to change because you wouldn't be able to, unless it can override like the plus one of being able to cast like one sorcery spell. I'm just saying as an example yeah. of like... Right, no, but what I'm saying, but I'm, the point is, no, no, I'm agreeing not. with you, Phil. A city, of, a, a city of Solitude that also removes stuff and drew you a card would be insane. <laughs> Let me tell you something, brother. If you're digging this podcast, you got to go over to patreon.com slash eternal turtles and become a patron right now. Oh, yeah. What I've been saying is, is a really long-winded way of just saying that the difference between power creep, breaking formats, or being unfun, or being things that are, are just uninteresting for us to play with, versus something that's innovative and creative and compelling and uh, just uniquely complex problems that we as players want to try and solve to leverage a, a card's power level, is razor thin to the difference between Teferi being asymmetrical. Yep. Right? If, if Teferi is symmetrical, that's just a uniquely powerful design, but it, it requires something of me in deck building in order to leverage it and, and make it so that it's better for me than my opponent. Right? Like, Winter Orb is a really powerful card, but it's not your opponent's lands don't untap. It's all lands don't untap. So, okay, that means that I'm, I, I want to play a very low-to-the-ground strategy that doesn't require a lot of mana in order to leverage that. That's... That that is a unique card design, but it's not something that we're going. Winter Orb needs to get the fuck out as I, much as a Miracles player, and I wish it was right. I would also like, venture to say that that is much more interesting as a player to build a deck that way than to be like, and Winter Orb stops your lands from untapping. But no, but that's what I'm. I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying that if, if any of these cards that we are saying this needs to go, if instead like. It, it, the, I'm saying that that's the reason why these cards are uh, like egregiously powerful and unfun. Yeah. It's because the, in order to have them, you just get to have them. You don't have to do anything for them except pay three mana, right? Like if, if instead <laughs> you had to go, okay, this is a powerful effect at a powerful cost and I want to use this and I want to build my deck in order to leverage that. What are the things that, what are the tools that I can use to have that, right? Like if Stan still just said the next time your opponent plays a spell, you get to draw three cards as opposed <laughs> to the next time a player does the difference between that card being broken, banned and restricted in vintage versus being something that's just a compelling tool that people try and build around every time a new set or a new tool comes around is, is the difference between it being symmetrical or not. Like it's that thin. That thin of a design in your text box is the difference between here's a really cool, powerful effect that stands the test of time that people will try over and over and over again to play with because it's fun and it's interesting versus this card's just fucking stupid and it needs to go because it's way too powerful. I agree. There was there was a point where someone said like, well, Black Vice isn't symmetrical, and like, but the, 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 that's not that's not we're not saying there's no place for you know asymmetrical effects or things that only affect your opponent. It's just a matter of like. Take, taking a look at the game as a, as, a, as a whole and how the game plays out and think about what happens if I can do this, but my opponent can't, you know, does it really make for a better game? Is it, should, what should the rules be or what should the cost be on this? Or what should the rider be for me to get that effect that, for example, um, only, only um, my opponent, only I get to play on the stack and my opponent, like to fairy, like there's, there might be a place for an effect that says only you can play, instance right there might, that, that might exist um but it might not be at a three mana planeswalker that also removes stuff and also draws you a card right yeah. black vice like was restricted like, black vice restricted and banned for years when it's you know the best way to deal with it was just to like play your cards out and that was hard to do at first because you didn't have a ton of low to the ground cards that were better than black vice anyway right and a curve also didn't exist Manic <laughs> right you just but, played like, your best cards and, you know? Like, I don't know how Black Vice would be. Maybe Black Vice would be the kind of card that would be good in standard now to sort of temper some certain strategies of, of stuff. Which is interesting, right? Like, that was the idea. Like, you can't just sit. You have to play the game. Black Vice makes your opponent play the game. And you have to play cards. And there's going to be, there's gonna be a, a thing that does that. Or they have to kill it or something. Like, um, But, like, uh, it's also, like, not good if your opponent can get empty their hand or, like, something like that, right? Um but like Teferi's just good. Like it's just even even Teferi without like Teferi without the rider might just be good. Or Teferi without the static ability might be good. I mean, 
like a planeswalker that can remove can bounce something and draw a card or let you cast a sorcery on their turn might just be good on its own like there's a lot of not lots of turn they, they, they talk about this and mark rosewater talking that's why i'm so that's why i was so shocked at the the interaction i had with him like he talks about all this stuff about all the knobs you have to turn and all the work you have to do on cards like i thought he i just assumed he was doing more with it you know yeah. and not just saying it so like What's, and, and maybe to make a quick point, it's like, yes, anyone can play, well, theoretically, anyone can play a companion, but the companions do have restrictions, and maybe you don't just want to, like, maybe my, I don't, I want to play a Liliana of the Veil in my black-white deck, right? Like, so, now, what's more asymmetrical and, and feels worse than my opponent has a companion and I don't? My opponent starts with eight cards, or my opponent always has a card they can access and I can't, because... I decided that it was more important to try something else. I don't think that I think that the the companions are or the, the companion as an effect in, in is so it's so hard to measure, and we don't know why Luris doesn't count non permanents. If Luris didn't count non permanents, it might not be as bad. But they made that decision, you know, they made that decision for whatever reason. Um, like in standard, it seems that Yorion's the problem because it's just like not a cost to play 80 cards. With you just play, take all your two ofs, like you always say, Phil, and just make them four ofs. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that. The, the 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 I've heard that Karuga is also the the bane of standard at the moment because the the fires decks can yeah. just focus on getting fires and then they always have a threat that's going to reload them. Yeah, yeah. I, I play I play it in arena and it's it's as stupid as you would think it is. And, and what that so what that does what that proves is that like this isn't just legacy players that are mad. That's what the, the point is. Like it's it's across all these formats, and like in some formats the the, the boogeyman is Gyruda or or, or Luris. In some formats it's Lutri. Like in vintage Lutri is you know Lutris is, is a big thing now, but Lutri is hanging out there still. And in in uh, standard it's Karuga. Like it's just not. They just the, there's no way around saying that this mechanic failed to the point where it's probably the biggest design crisis since Urza block. That's what Eric Virgo says. Like, and a couple of people have agreed with him. Like this is the worst design mistake since Urza block. And, and Urza that block, end, I brought, I brought up that maybe they should just uh, offer us ban these cards and then offer us free packs when we open them. <laughs> well, that's what I they mean, did during Urza's block. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I don't know what their solution is going to be because, boy, I I just don't know. Like, how do you? Are you really going to? Um, uh, are you really going to like ban this whole mechanic out of existence? <laughs> are you going to surgically ban the ones that are bad? Like, are you going to try and make more so that more people have access to them? But like, are they ever going to be as good as the first ones? I mean, there's just there's just so much going on here. It's 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 a crisis. I I mean, I do honestly. Uh, respect that that they are that they tried to take a big cut and they really missed like it's just like that sucks like sometimes yeah that i mean it, it's one of those things where if they actually like did companions in a way that it's not just like what it is currently like if they actually designed somehow and found the way to balance it where it's it's good and it's good enough that you are interested in doing it but it's not just objectively a disadvantage to not be doing it if they found whatever that line was, the, all of the conversations about this being the most egregious design thing they've done in years would be the entire opposite conversation. We would be, it would be like, I would either be, this is insane. I can't believe they, they knocked this out of the park on their first try, or it just would be another incidental mechanic that is good. And we wouldn't even be talking about it. Yeah. So it's, it's like the, 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 the other timeline where they got it right. The, the the conversation surrounding it as a mechanic in general could have been very different. I like mean, if 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 if, if Loris was just a three two lifelinker with companion and that's it, that might have just been like wow these des this design is actually like really interesting. Like is a three two lifelinker that you just have at all times like good enough to concede that you just don't play with fucking Oko? Right? Maybe we'll never maybe. know. We'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> I, I, it's it's interesting. It, it's almost it's or what if it did? What if it? What if you couldn't play Force of Will with it? You know, what if we just made it like you know? What, what kind of deck would that have enabled? Like, I, I don't. It's a, that's one of those interesting things where it's like, is the companion concept the problem, or is it like these cards? And 
you know, should we play it safe? Like, they're asking us, should we play it safe? And I think, like, quite frankly, to sort of go back to what I said, that's your job. Like, yeah. I can't, we can't help you. We can't really help you with that. And, and will you listen? Because, to like, let's be honest. <laughs> no, the answer is no. We don't want you to play it safe. We're, 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 we are, we are, we, but we are people with money who are just stupid. buying toys. We want the coolest goddamn toys you can possibly produce. But at the same time, we don't want any new toy that you produce to make it so that we can't play with any of the other toys we have. Yeah. It's like I, Legos change their size. It's, it's funny. There's a, there's like a, it, it's tough because part of it is like, you want to have something to talk. We, we run a podcast, right? Like, you want to have something to talk about. God, what did we even talk about between, like, September of 2017 to whenever they started printing real Magic cards again? Whenever Dude, we, we, we would have... All like, the stuff we, we talked about. Talk like, about? Do, you, do you remember the last <laughs> time we actually talked about... As opposed to, like, Design and WotC, the last time that we actually had a discussion of, like, here's what the metagame looks like, here's where it seems like there are holes in, like, the top-tier decks, maybe they could be exploited by XYZ, and actually, like, talking about gameplay... As opposed while. to like design mistakes, yeah. Like that's we're what we Mario talked about. That. Like we we talked about like the part of the game that we enjoy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that like one thing that I've been thinking about a little bit. Do you guys remember we did our show on Lavinia when it was spoiled? Yeah, and we I, I everything you guys were talking about with the uh, symmetrical effects, the cards just echoing in my head constantly. Like it's interesting. Like I remember, I, I think I feel like I had the sense of foreboding when we were talking about it. We're like, huh. This is a really bizarre card. There's a lot of text on here that doesn't that seems kind of disjointed and like it kind of hates this random stuff and all this like uh, what's going on here, right? And then it came out and it really shook up vintage. You know, didn't really have an effect on legacy. We didn't say it was going to necessarily on legacy, but we were like, this is a troubling. This is a troubling look. This is a troubling like thing. Maybe this. Maybe this is just. A, maybe this is the one off, right? And then I, and then boy, like the the. Uh, I don't think you guys were at Grand Prix Niagara, but Grand Prix Niagara, I remember by then Karn had been spoiled, and I think Narsa. And they weren't legal. And we were like, huh, that seems really bad. And that's only about a year ago now. And look at everything that's happened. Like, we didn't even get a chance to to truly process whether or not those fit. There are people saying now, like, well, you thought Narsa was going to break Legacy. It's like, I didn't know they were going to print Renin 6, Oko, and... And Underworld yeah, Breach. We didn't know they were like, Yu-Gi-Oh! the game out, you know? Like, we didn't know. <laughs> they printed, like, Renin 6 came out a month later. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, sure. I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah. well, yeah, I don't think Narset, if, if, if the next if the next few sets were on the, the power level of the sets before Narset came out and before Where the Spark came out, then we would, yes, we would probably have been talking about, you know, whether or not Narset or Deferi was too strong objectively in October. But by October, Oka was out. <laughs> to, to answer my my uh, question, I'm looking back now at our at our log from that era. It is like we had a lot more interviews because you could interview someone and talk and ask them about what they thought about the format because it it stopped for long enough to have an opinion. Uh, and then we have stuff like uh, you know uh, what if fetch lands get banned? You know, like yeah. we just got to have like weird takes occasionally. Now we just have to talk about like. Our heads are still spinning from the last thing, you know. Like, for the record, for the record, hmm. lines are still their their worst design mistake ever. Back, Maybe I'll drop. We had it. we had the black to basics discussion. That deck is just sweet. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, we had Matt Hackbert on. Uh, you know, during this era, like, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, that we talked about that, like, we just don't get to talk about anymore because it's it's like. Hey, everything's a trash fire. We're trying to figure out where things are going. <laughs> Not only that, but like in a, in a format like Legacy, like we had Anurag on. Well, we had Anurag on like two weeks ago, and that was to talk about the meta ostensibly. Yeah. And he was saying like, "Yeah, this sucks. <laughs> this kind of blows." But like, we're, you know, I'm kind of just streaming and going along with it, right? Yeah. Like, are we supposed to talk about like whether or not like the best? Like, I don't know. The, the, the fact that there's a sort of sort of Damocles hanging over the format, and that like you kind of expect you kind of expect action. On this at this point, because they banned Run and Six and they banned Underworld Breach, and that was Underworld Breach was like, just like blink and you'll miss it, you know. Yeah. And that hasn't been anything like that I think since Treasure Cruise. Um, but uh, the fact that like we're kind of just like, I mean, how much how much do you want us to break? Do, do, our listeners like, do you, how much do you want us to break down 
the various flavors of Luris decks. Like, go look online and, like, figure it out. Like, we can't really give you anything. Like, it looks like this is objectively powerful. It keeps winning a ton. And people keep playing it. And that's what there is to say. And, like, how do you beat it? Like, beats me. Like, you beat it because, like, you beat the same way you always beat Delver. Your Loris deck is better than their Loris deck. (laughs) You know? I mean, it's possible. It's possible. Like, there's, like, I I can, I'll give you a take. Like, I think that things like Wasteland are better now because, because, um, the the Delver decks. Yeah. Yeah, that that the Delver decks play more non-basic land. You're seeing less Astrolabe because the Astrolabe decks haven't really figured out how to play a companion that and like so maybe you're you're better with wasteland or blood moon like we could tell you that like i don't know what that looks like because i don't know that it is actually that much better than just straight up try another lurus deck yeah. like you're gonna wasteland me <laughs> you're gonna wasteland me like i've got a lotus petal in my delver deck somehow <laughs> what are you gonna do yeah i've got a basic island like i can run the whole thing off this and like you're gonna waste you're gonna try and wasteland them off lurus meanwhile they're just gonna play dreadhorde arcanist and bolt you to death Yep. It's just a ton of stuff, but there's a lot moving around. Yeah. Is that it for us? I, I think know. I think this is it, it, this is a good place to stop for now. I I, I have ideas uh, to for further discussion, but I think we should save that for the next week. We've got a, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of information here for people to digest, and uh, and I think I think that's where we want to be. Yeah, I'm just checking because I do believe that we did pick up a couple new oh my patrons. Gosh, amazing. Um, scrolling back, uh, Tanhauser five thirty one. We don't know who that is. Their, their real name is, but that they are a new patron. And I think there was at least one more. Let me check. Maybe not. But thank you for. Oh, Dominic Monfrey is a patron now. Oh yeah, Dom. <laughs> yeah, welcome I think he aboard. came back. I think he. Tobias Tobias Yokum four twenty two twenty. Yep. Um, so I think I don't know if we ever got to him. So thank you to the three of you who, who have given us some stuff. Like we're using it for all the hosting fees. We're using it to download songs. <laughs> Can I tell you guys something funny? Hmm. I I've been working on this like parody of California Uber Alice by the Dead Kennedys called Companions Uber Alice. Uber Alice. And <laughs> and like what I was actually I had, I come on this I, I before I had this discussion. This was like days a couple days ago. This thing with Mark happened yesterday. But I had to come up with this thing like it's gonna be from Mark Rosewater's point of view. But it's a brutal song like on its subject, which oh, is yeah. uh, Gary Brown basically just like saying the guy's Hitler. And I didn't. I was like, huh. I don't know if I want to finish it now. I definitely would feel really bad, like, because I do have empathy for the fact that the guy's sort of like spinning and he's the public face stuff. And like, I understand how that feels. Like, it is rough. It is rough. Like, you're getting a lot of shit and you don't know how to deal with it, and that's understandable. And like, you know, maybe you need to step back and someone needs to tell you that. I hope someone does. Because now I'm not, not going to do. Unfortunately, I also could not sing the chorus. I was going to have to ask you to sing it, Zach, because yeah, I mean, your Jello, your Jello Biafra. I, I have a Jello voice. Biafra voice. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was, it was good. It's also really hard to find a, a, a karaoke version of California Uber Alice. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> it's just like not in the karaoke. It kind of sucks. Like, it'll be a sweet karaoke song sometime. I bet yeah. Holiday. In, I bet you can get Holiday in Cambodia. Oh yeah, you can definitely get. Phil, have you ever, I've, Phil, have I've you ever heard the song California? <laughs> Phil, have you ever uh, heard the song California Viralis? I don't know it off the top of my head. Maybe if I heard it, I'd recognize it. But like you saying the name of it doesn't uh, trigger anything to me. I mean, the the <laughs> chorus is California Viralis, California. Ah, no, like that. no, I haven't. So you That's, would know. It's like very easy to tell. No, I haven't. Not, not that that <laughs> one. I haven't heard. So anyway. Uh, maybe if this all dies down, but like, yeah, we, we, I guess the the point being that like, we're going to just, the only way I could find a karaoke version was like, I went on YouTube and there was like a punk rock karaoke channel and I was going to have to like record it to my, record it to my computer and then use that recording, like that boot, like recording yeah, to like sing along to it. Yeah, I've done that before. That's yeah, not for the Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, Thanks, that's guys. what we're using your money for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you so much, everybody, for uh, for donating and jumping in and uh, you know helping support the show. Uh, it does it does go towards the show and to to helping us uh, keep keep current with what's going on in the game as much as we can. Yep. All right, uh, I'll catch you guys next week. Next week. Hi.
Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. Excuse me. Dumb. My name is Can I have the attention of Watsy? This game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, kids. Do you like islands? Want to cast some elemental dinosaur hippo hybrids? Creatures with text boxes longer than vendor buy lists? Cool cards that'll get fucked by some Simic Mythics? Reprinted dead weight, can't sequence the spells straight. I'm unlikely to even top eight my friend's MySpace. Forsyth said, transgressive cards need a place to live. But why? We have to abide by the reserve list. Since age 12, I hated myself. Fetch lands, tutoring perfect mana for some reason never helped. Selling secret lair for a month's rent is rude, dude. During a pandemic, it's like sneezing in my mouth. Oh, ew! Back to basics should have obviously cost rainbow. Decks like 69 color Snoko pretty much say so. Nice. Yo, Phil, why you acting all out of whack, kid? Fuck Chalice of the Void. I yelled from the loser's bracket. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Oko Thief of Crowns having a six pack is weird. Dude eats more food than Kobayashi does in a year. He's more loyal than a professionally trained golden retriever, even though he's a thief and turned a king into a beater. Akoya's creature types were pulled out of a hat. There's octopi, nightmares, fox sharks, and bats. Overpriced cycles and ad nauseum's cat, and an otter got banned from the casual format. 99% of the set's cards are unplayable, except there's a Planeswalker Polymorph available. Get ready to get slapped in the dick with the spaghetti monster, because Grim Monolith makes that fox an Eldrazi Maelstrom Wanderer. Try and guess the names of all the wedges. The cons of Tarkir time traveling with census. Up until their names got replaced in development, guess Mutate as a mechanic ultimately was relevant. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Astrolabe makes all the colors fake. Melt the snow with a band hammer made out of lava cake. Sensei's top will greet it from beyond, where Deathrite Shaman gets probed by Jataxions. There's a heavenly whale that flies for double blue. It's like a Fidian smuggled the copter without the loots. Boss's oracle predicts doomsday's on the way. Street Wraith finds a diamond that'll divorce you from the game. Miracles fails to keep a counterbalance because a veil of summer has covered the snowy islands. The mystic monastery monks entreat the angels as well as my fat ass handles a dozen bagels. I lay awake refreshing the spoilers in my head, trying to understand if mutate makes any sense. Maybe Rosewater will lay off the parasitics the way my competitive record lays off the winner. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Hi, this game is fun. This game is dumb. My name is Ficky 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 Force of Bill. Many of you know the fastest miracles player alive. Call me the Nostradamus of dumb shit. Big surprise. I mean, it sucks, my lazab not brew when awry. Of course, the only mythics that I like are left to die. I wonder if there will be a time we stop complaining about all the competence future future leagues curtailing. I'd imagine if we did, you wouldn't even know the difference. They seriously printed sorceries with flash. Those are instants. They're instants. You can't fucking fool me, Watsy. They're instants.